Good morning, dear saints and Lenten blessings. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Friday, February 23rd, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today we take up Deuteronomy chapters 12 and 13. These chapters are pivotal in understanding the Israelites' relationship with God and the stringent expectations set forth for worship and obedience. Chapter 12 outlines the centralization of worship, commanding the Israelites to destroy all places where the nations they dispossess worship their gods, and instead worship the Lord in the place that he will choose. Chapter 13 escalates the seriousness of maintaining fidelity to God with stark warnings against the temptations of idolatry, even if it comes from within one's own family or community. Whether it's over the air, online at kfuo.org, using the KFUO app, or as a podcast, no matter how you're joining us this morning, I'm grateful you're here. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hi, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message there, or you can call in if you'd like, 1-800-730-2727. And joining us this morning to help us open up Deuteronomy 12 and 13, it's the Reverend Stephen Tice. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Good morning, Pastor Tyson. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. Good morning, Pastor Boo. It's a pleasure to be back online or on the air or however one is joining us with you and the, and the listeners. Yeah, there's so many great ways to connect. So, you know, you just don't expect that they're all going to be listening right. to the radio. They could be listening on their smart speakers or on their phones or mm-hmm. it's a brave new world and it's a wonderful, uh, you know, I just, I just think, you know, KFUO is going to be a hundred this year and it just, they couldn't have imagined the type of reach that KFUO would be getting as it is right now, way back then. I'm sure they'd be very grateful and and overjoyed at absolutely. how we're able to reach the world with the gospel. Yes, absolutely. And, and this was part of the, the whole understanding when they initiated this radio station. It was newer technology. It was cutting edge stuff, really, at that point in time. And through the work of seminary and involved with this, and, and of course, Dr. Walter A. Meyer, um, the, the whole idea of, of finding a way to get the gospel out with the tools available. In the Middle Ages, this was the printing press with movable type, and, and then the printing of many liturgical resources, hymnals, etc., that previously could only be done hand-copied, expanded the worship system. Uh, now we have this resource and, and technology. Uh, find ways to use it to the glory of God, to edifying people, and especially because what we do is all of this technology, I remind people of this constantly. So if you've heard me say it before, I apologize for being too repetitious. All of it's taking what God has created, placed on this planet, and rearranging it to work together to accomplish something it was always capable of accomplishing. We just had to figure out how to arrange it. So we're using God's creation in a creative way to serve the gospel and to serve other human beings with God's good news. You know, and that's an interesting juxtaposition to what we're going to be talking about today, which God 
prescribes worship for his people. He's very concerned both about them staying faithful and true to him and to what he wants to give them, but he also has concern that they won't go astray. And, and, and of course, they are going to be a light on the hill for the nations, but they can't be if, they've, if they don't stay faithful to God. So uh, we're going to be talking about worship today. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things. Before we dig into it, though, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. And uh, I'd ask that you lead us in that prayer, please. Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, you give us gifts each day. We give thanks for the gift you've given us of your word, of eyesight that allows us to see the printed page, of, of ears that allow us to hear the spoken word, of the technology that allows us to share it in many locations at once. We especially ask you to grant your Holy Spirit to us as the one who has called us into this world and called us into your church, that we might be enlightened and be enlightening to others as we share this message. You have called us to know you in Christ Jesus. We could not know you without your call and without your gifts. Bless our time together today that others might come to know you and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent for our salvation. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've given us two chapters to get through today, and mostly because it just didn't seem right to break them up in the way Mm -hmm. that the thought is going. Uh, So just briefly, folks, for you who were here yesterday, you would have heard us talk about, uh, well, from God, similar things, right? How they should love and serve Yahweh only as they go into this land. And toward the end of our text yesterday, we heard verses 26 and 27. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of Yahweh your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And so that sort of segues into our text for this this day, which is, you know, the ESV editors call it Yahweh's chosen place of worship, but it's much more than that. He's giving them directives for what it looks like to worship him. And, and this is over and against some of the worship practices they may have picked up in Egypt or that they are going to be tempted to be picked up from the nations around them. Yeah, we have a, a God who very clearly says, I have my way for worship and I will have my place for worship. And The relationship you have with me is based on knowing who I am. And that's a key verb in this whole section of knowing the God you are worshiping, gods you have not known, this this personal relationship awareness of the God who called the people out of slavery, out out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness, now gives them the land. Again, that very important verb in the book of Deuteronomy, that God is the giver. And so he says... Because you know me and you have this relationship, I will tell you how I am to be approached so that the relationship is enhanced and not harmed. And the whole understanding of worship is that God is giving to us what we cannot produce for ourselves, and we respond in faith and thanksgiving. But it's always he who draws near to us in the place he promises to be. And that's that's a big part of what's the very first section of this chapter 12. 
Well, let's get into it. I'm going to go ahead and read the first big chunk, which goes through verse 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Moses writes, These are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship Yahweh your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that Yahweh your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before Yahweh your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which Yahweh your God has blessed you. So as they get ready, as they prepare to enter the promised land, God seems pretty clear here. You know, obviously, not only should you not worship in the ways and the places where they've worshipped, but you should destroy all their places and objects of worship and worship me where I tell you. In general, and, and I know we can talk about, and I'm, I'm sure we will, Jesus talking to the woman about how, you know, neither on that hill or here, uh, but you'll worship in spirit and truth. I'm sure that's going to come out. But just in general, it, it seems to me that there are right ways and wrong ways to worship God. Yeah, that that is certainly a true statement. The the God who says, I am who I am, also says, for you to have a relationship with me, you need to approach me as I request, as I instruct, because I can't be approached unless I allow you to come to me. Uh, you know, the the time of Moses on the mountain when his face absorbs the glory of God into the skin cells and, you know, and, and continues to emit that glory for, for months. The people of Israel were terrified both to look at Moses and to hear the voice of God. This generation now is, is those born in the wilderness primarily, or that were 20 or under at the time of, of the Exodus. And so what they're hearing now is that God says, I still am a God who needs to be not merely worshipped and revered, but also to not be presumed upon. And, and this is the, the great gift that we have in Jesus Christ is that he says, you can come to the Father through me. In the Old Covenant, uh, the, the, the approach they were going to have to God was through a prophet or the priest. But specifically, God says, all these false gods in the, in the place you're going, those are, uh, first, an abomination to me, secondly, harmful to you, and third, and I think we overlook this far too readily, these are, I'm going to use the term access points for demonic powers, because the spirits of evil are not free to do whatever they will. God restricts them. But if a human being invites them to a place... They are able, and it has been my experience working with Christians over the years, that they are able to return to that place. So if the place has been used for evil worship, God is saying, destroy it, obliterate all the remnants of it, and don't go there anymore. 
because that's where Satan will, in fact, seek to harm people. Now, Satan has restrictions. The evil angels are limited, and God only allows them to do certain things. But if a human invites a demon into a relationship, that relationship is when the demon will begin to control. And, and so the access point is a big problem. It's one of the reasons God says, don't go to any place I haven't told you to go to. And, and living in a culture which tends to overlook the past throughout our nation of the United States, there are various places where individuals have attempted to worship a God that they assumed was the divine being and sometimes was not. And so there are, there are even dangerous spots in our country. But what what God is getting at here for the Israelites in particular is these people set up a worship site. You know where it is. You know what it is. Destroy it. Remove it. It is not acceptable to me. And I don't want you to wrap get wrapped up in the wrong way to approach my creation and your sustenance by imitating the false worship of the Canaanites and those who have been here before, and as he's told them repeatedly, whom I'm kicking out because they've failed to worship me properly, you're pushing them away because they will not acknowledge me, the true God. So they are, they are cleansing the space, but they're also serving as God's agent to bring judgment on those who have worshipped false gods. And, and part of that is destroying the God that can't defend itself. Another aspect, too, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, this is something that this is why the scriptures caution people against uh, things like necromancy or e even like horoscopes or sure. astrology. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter how many times they put for entertainment purposes only, if you're putting faith, hope and trust in that, then you're, you're summoning or, or worshiping in a way that God has not commanded you. I, I would also point out or at least maybe ask we know that Abraham and Jacob throughout Genesis, it's ten, they tended to, and sometimes commanded by God, to just sort of set up altars anywhere, right? right. I'm, I'm going to set up an altar here in worship. I'm going to set up an altar here. Sure. Does this also speak to that to say, you know, that's not going to happen anymore. I want a central, once you guys conquer this land, I want a central place of worship. Is he also speaking to that? He is, he is at, at one level, and, and then part of part of this is to keep in mind that the tabernacle will be moved from place to place over time. So the one place of access to God, I'll call it, God says, I have my place, and where you find me is my place, not the place you pick. And, and so he is specifically saying in the wilderness, it was obvious that the tabernacle was there, the pillar of fire by day and night. Everybody knew where God was. You didn't have to hunt for him. He was, boom, right there. Everybody could see it. Once they get into the promised land and spread out, that will no longer be the case. So, so God is also saying, I will make known to you that I am still among you. And you can find me in the place where I promised to be, but don't presume to worship elsewhere. And part of, part of this covenant relationship that God makes with Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob as well, and we'll get into that a little bit further on, is is the way in which altars are built. And what God is saying is, I have a place where I want the altars to be. And when those places are where I want them, then you come and worship there. Because the altar is part of the worship rite. And the danger that lies in building the altar in a way that offends God makes the whole worship offensive. So there's also the fact that you remove the old patterns that will offend God.
So it's a cleansing, but it's also a protection of those who will be worshiping in the future. Let's add a few more verses to the conversation, picking up with now verse 8 and going through 14. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that Yahweh your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that Yahweh your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before Yahweh your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male servants and your female servants and the Levite that was, is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place you see, but at the place that Yahweh will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. So uh, just looking at this, um, right, we, we love this word uh, rest mm-hmm. stands out. Um, it's, it's not Sabbath, but it's still this idea of rest. He's, he's giving them rest where they're going. And, and this is the rest they're anticipating. And so I still connect it to the Sabbath rest that we receive in Christ. Oh, certainly this would, this would be the key idea that, that the, the wandering in the wilderness, if you will, the waiting to enter the land of promise, uh, with the temptation of Jesus the first Sunday in Lent, we looked at this, this theme that Jesus is in the wilderness. How long? 40 days, 40 nights. Well, clearly this is, connects to the 40 years in the wilderness. And in the same way, the, the Jesus entering then back into the land of Canaan, when he comes out of the wilderness, he goes back to where the people had settled. He begins sharing the good news and calls people to repent and believe. And so what God is doing here as well is he's saying, I've brought you to the place where you will be secure in a relationship with me, not wondering when will we get there. Now, it's going to take about seven years before they conquer the whole land uh, under Joshua. But in the process of that time, God is setting up a place. And he says, when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that Yahweh, your father, your God, is giving you to inherit, and then he gives you rest from all your enemies, then you worship where God tells you to go. And what you do is you don't have to worry about the enemy attacking you. You don't have to worry about, I'll be harassed on my way to, to worship. You're all safe and secure. Then you go to the place where I've I've caused my name to be noticed or the tabernacle erected. And he also says, and this is hard for, for most North Americans to understand, if you live in an agricultural community, you get some of it, but it's still hard for us. Uh, when it's time to take the first fruits offerings, you haul it to wherever God put up his house. You don't, you don't take it down the street to the, the elevator and sell, you know. You, you go to wherever the tabernacle set up. This could be a 70-mile journey for somebody at the far end of the country, although most likely or no further than 45. But in this whole process, God is saying, I'm not making this simple. Well, I should say that differently. He's, he said, I'm not making it easy, but he's making it simple. He says, here's what you do and here's how you do it. It's simple. It's hard to do if you don't 
worship the Lord your God. But if you're devoted to God, you're going to do things because he's, he's the one that says does them, do this. And, and the whole idea that you're going to go there to offer a sacrifice where God's name is, you know, three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, um, and, and then the Feast of Booths, and God says, you know, Day of Atonement, you come and you do these things. Well, the Israelites are going to be, for lack of a better label, imposed on to be inconvenienced to go wherever God puts his name. And God is saying, I intend this to be something you deliberately have to plan for so that it, it reflects in your daily living that you will go to the place God has said, meet me. And, and this, is a, this is a part of, of worship life to be able to deliberately say, okay, we plan ahead for doing this in this way. And, and as the Lord says, you shall rejoice before Yahweh your God, family members, servants, and the Levite in your town. When you do this, rejoice. Give God blessing and praise when you bring your offerings that you are supposed to bring. And you don't do it wherever you want, but at the place Yahweh has chosen in one of your tribes. So there are places you can go that are nearby for the non-three festival events, for the regular vows and the offerings and first fruits. Some of that's adjacent to the Israelites, but again, the Israelites have the Levites living among them so that the representation of God's service and presence are there in their communities. And this is, again, an, ag- an agrarian culture. Uh, some of the people manufacture things so they could, they could in fact, build or grow uh, various resources that then get a tithe from that goes to, goes to God. But, but the point is, wherever the tabernacle is, there's going to have to be a bunch of people to receive those things and store them, etc. So it's far more complex than it sounds when we read through these several words that say, go to the place I <laughs> cause my name to be. Well, but taking back, just zooming out a little bit, though, what is consistent and we see persisting into our church today is that there is a place where God has promised to meet his people in a special way. So I, I don't while I don't think it speaks directly, I think it speaks indirectly to this idea that, well, I can worship God anywhere. I can just I can be out on the boat or I can be out on the lake, uh, you know, ice fishing or sure. oh, I could be out in the mountains or on top of a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. Not that God isn't there and not even that it's necessarily sinful to seek God in those places, but it would be if you're doing it to the to the um, I guess to the exception of not going where he wants you to come. Yeah. Uh, and so this isn't a, and you might disagree, but I don't think, I don't see this as an issue between the so-called worship wars. I see it more as a people are more and more not making themselves available despite stylistic differences to where God gives us his means of grace. Oh, that's, that's certainly the case. The, 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 the question you and I need to ask is where has God promised to meet us? And you can go out in the mountains and see the beauty of creation and the, the stars testify to God's power and glory. And scripture is clear about that. Creation tells us there is a divine being who is full of power and order and beauty. But that doesn't tell us what he's done for us or how we need to relate to him. But when we go to where he's promised to meet us and he comes to us in word and sacrament and Christ says, here I am in the midst of you. And then he says, take and eat, take and drink. This is me. This is for your forgiveness. I'm with you, and in case you missed it here, 
put this in your mouth, taste this, smell this, listen to these words. This is for you, for your forgiveness. We are in danger of substituting our own way of worship, which is exactly what God is telling the Israelites not to do. So the, the, the connection is the God who says, I have promised to meet you in a particular place, says, if you keep trying to find me in a place I haven't promised to meet you and ignore the place I said to come, you're going to run afoul of what I want. Yeah, amen to that. Well, I'll tell you what, this next section I'm going to read is quite long. In fact, I think it'll take us right up to the break, and then I'm going to ask my guest to uh, chime in when we get back. But here we go. I'm going to read verses 15, because we do have a lot to cover, all the way through 28. So settle in. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your towns as much as you desire, according to the blessing of Yahweh your God that he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it as of the gazelle and as of the deer. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You may not eat within your towns the tithe of your grain or of your wine or of your oil or of the firstborn of your herd or of your flock or of any of your vow offerings that you vow or your freewill offerings or the contribution that you present. But you shall eat them before Yahweh your God in the place that Yahweh your God will choose, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your towns. And you shall rejoice before Yahweh your God in all that you undertake. Take care that you do not neglect the Levite as long as you live in your land. When Yahweh your God enlarges your territory as he has promised you, and you say, I will eat meat because you crave meat, you may eat meat whenever you desire. If the place that Yahweh your God will choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill any of your herd or your flock which Yahweh has given you, as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your towns whenever you desire." Just as the gazelle or the deer is eaten, so you may eat of it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that all may go well with you and your children after you, when you do what is right in the sight of Yahweh. But the holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings you shall take. And you shall go to the place that Yahweh will choose and offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, on the altar of Yahweh your God. The blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of Yahweh your God, but the flesh you may eat. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, when you do what is good and right in the sight of Yahweh your God. So lots to dig into, in particular, about taking care of the Levites and his emphasis on the blood. And then we'll unpack mm -hmm. what he's talking about when he says, you know, as the gazelle and as the deer. We'll talk about all that, but we're going to have to wait till after our break. So, folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Tyson and I will keep on going. See you on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, folks. This is Thy Strong Word, and I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today, it's the Reverend Stephen Tice. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. We're going to dive right back into the text, skip the pleasantries. I just led, read rather an entire big chunk, uh, two big paragraphs from our text today. But starting back at the top, heading back to Deuteronomy 15-ish, uh, take us through this. What is going on here? It, I assume it has something to do with the fact that back in Leviticus, they, he basically said, if you kill a, an animal, you have to do it outside the tent of meeting or you have blood guilt. Right. But now things are changing. Yes. And, and primary reason it's changing is they're no longer camped around the, the tabernacle. They're no longer centered as a people with the tabernacle in the midst of their uh, camp location. Now they'll be scattered out into various hills and valleys, cities that have been built. And so the, the recognition is that you do not now have the, I'm going to use the word, feasible way to feed people if they have to come to the tent of meeting every time somebody butchers something. People starve to death before you can get this job done. Uh, and the other side of it is this is for the non-sacrificial eating. This is for daily routine of butchering your your sheep or your, your young calf. And it, that's why it mentions the gazelle and as the deer, the clean and the unclean may eat of it. When they were in the camp together, unclean people were, were put out of the camp. They weren't allowed to be in the camp when they were wandering through the wilderness. That provision now will be they're put out of a city if they're unclean but they're not excluded from the eating of everyday meals. And so there is a new a new standard that applies to Israeli I'm sorry, Israelite life. Israeli's totally different concept. Apologize for that. Uh, the Israelites in that culture and in that time, God says, these are the rules I give you. They're different than the people among whom you live. Now here's the here's the new rule because you're no longer in the wilderness. When you're going to eat Meat for regular meals, unclean people can take part in that meal too. Just like when we butchered a wild animal, the gazelle or the deer, we treat these meals of standard nourishment, apart from the worship portion of, of the sacrificing, like we treat wild animals. You're butchering what you caught or what you have, and now it's going to be shared. Just don't eat the blood because the blood is still connected to the purity of God's gift of life and still points ahead to Jesus, whose blood will cleanse us from all sin. But when it comes to the special offerings, the free will, the firstborn, the vow offerings, that you do not do there. 
you still go to the place where God says, I'll be. And so if it's worship, God says, you do it in my presence. If it's standard meal preparation, you can do that where you live. But you still have the rule of about avoiding the blood. Take care then also not to neglect those that are within your territory that are under your care. The Neglect the Levite. Uh, the Levites had some towns that were given to them and the adjoining fields and maybe small pastures. But the majority of the Levites did not have flocks or herds, even if they had one or two uh, animals. Uh, the statement was still, when you butcher your animals, you share with the Levites among you. And also that applies to your own servants and your staff and your household. And eventually it includes the 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 wanderer, the alien dwelling among you, sojourner is the usual translation. And God says, the grace I've provided to you, you used to provide with others. And when you get into even more territory, when the Lord expands or enlarges your territory, eat meat wherever you want. The, the, the rules are now relaxed because God says, I'm not going to impose on my people a restriction that will harm them. Regular food can be eaten anywhere, but these parts of the worship life, those still you, you still have to come where I will be. And, and uh, wherever the Lord puts his name, if that's too far, then kill any of your flock or your herd, as I have commanded you, and eat within your towns. Okay? Unclean and clean, but just don't eat the blood. So if you're close enough, then God says, okay, come, come to the place where I am. But if it's too far... You do it, do it where you live. And and the whole point is that you do this in the sight of God that it is right. And if it's the holy things, the things I've set apart, those things that I have determined you are to do to worship me, that you shall take and go to the place where the Lord has said to meet me. And there your blood will be poured on the altar, just as God says. So... Obey all these words and the promise that it go may, may go well with you and with your children after you forever. So the point of this is that God's blessing would remain in your household and in your family. And as I usually point out at some point in Bible class when people are talking about sin, original sin and guilt and who's responsible, I, I remind people that twice in the history of the world— Every living person on the planet knew who the true God was and what his, what his word and will was. Adam and Eve and then Noah and his family. God made sure they knew what his word and his will was. If the parents didn't pass it on to the children, it's not God's fault that it wasn't passed on. And this is part of what's going on here in this section of Deuteronomy. If you go, go back to chapter 6, it says, Now these things you teach your children. You talk about them when you, when you lie down and when you get up in the morning, when you walk along the road. You know, when, you, when you're just going, going in the car to go, to go to school or soccer practice or piano lesson or grocery store. Those are opportune moments to talk about who God is. And, you know, we go, we go into the grocery store, we get food. Well, where does food come from? God causes it to grow, and people work to, to grow it. But, you know, it's the rain and the soil that produce these things. Opportune moments. And this is what he concludes this, this section here with, that it may go well with you and with your children after you when you do what is good and right in the sight of Yahweh your God. So you know who the true God is and how he relates to you.
one thing that came to my mind too as we're studying this is, you know, God gives a lot of commands, rules, and regulations in mm-hmm. the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. Sure. And we have divided them into these civil, ceremonial, and um, moral laws. And, and we acknowledge that with the coming of Jesus and with the dissolution of the theocracy, the civil laws pass away. Mm-hmm. Christ, uh, the ceremonial laws, he fulfills. The moral laws still stand. And there's some crossover and it can be a little confusing. Well, now here's my point. Here's a perfect example of those who would say, and there are some, that all the laws of the Old Testament continue to stand because God gave them in perpetuity and he doesn't change. But here's a perfect example, even within the lives of these people where God accommodates his law for new conditions. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm careful for people to understand that I'm not saying that things just change with the times. But what I am saying is that it is not unreasonable to understand that when Christ came, he fulfilled laws on our behalf, and some simply do not apply. This doesn't mean that we can say, oh, well, things that we don't like don't apply, and that's not what I'm saying. And I know you understand, but I just want to make sure the people at home do. Certainly. But what do you think about that? I mean, it seems like that really does spring out of this. God does accommodate his laws for the well, people. And and absolutely, he he has to. I I mentioned previously they were in the wilderness and they, they camped around the tabernacle. The, the situation was different. Now, as they enter the land of promise, they're going to have portions God lays out for them. One of the new laws is don't move the boundary stones. Right. Well, you don't need that law if you live in the wilderness and you're camping in tents and moving. There are no boundary stones. But the other part of that is God says, the reason for this is so that you remember I gave it to you. There's always a purpose behind God doing this that draws people back to God. And so when the purpose has been fulfilled, the law can be adjusted or removed. And um, I think this is very, very key understanding of the nature of God. He is a God of order, and he is a God of justice and mercy and grace. And he seeks order because it's part of his identity and it's for our good. He demands justice because it's part of his nature and it is for our good. He extends mercy because that's his nature and for our good. And he gives grace because that's his nature and and for our benefit. All of these things are consistent when we go back to the fact that they come from God's identity. And this particular section talks about a God you do not know. And that phrase is so important. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus goes back to this idea of a God you know. When he's speaking with the apostles in the upper room and, and the, the evening of the Passover before he's betrayed, he goes back to some of exactly the same phrases that are found here in Deuteronomy. I'm going to get a place ready for you. You will enter rest. You aren't there yet. See, these phrases, these concepts are there. So um, it's just for me personally, I, I regularly remind myself that when I'm reading the Old Testament, I need to be looking for a place where Jesus drew a statement or a phrase that he put into one of his parables or one of the lessons he taught his disciples, because he's always using the Old Testament to show that he is the fulfillment of the law. And so for me, this is one of those places where I go and say, okay, here's what Jesus says. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the God you know. Stay away from the God you don't know. 
Let's move on. We're going to move into the section that the ESV editors entitle Warning Against Idolatry with verse 29. When Yahweh your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I may also do the same? You shall not worship Yahweh your God in that way, for every abominable thing that Yahweh hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. All right, so just pausing there, it's the end of the chapter, and we're going to go into 13 next. Um, yeah, he's. It, it takes kind of a, I mean, it's all been serious, but it takes a very uh, somber tone in this when he says, like, like, you know, lean in, listen, do mm -hmm. not do what they do because what they do isn't just like, oh, God doesn't like it. It is abominable. The Lord hates it. And one of the examples is child sacrifice. That's yes. uh, that's scary. Oh, it is. And, and God is God is saying these people acted this way. Thinking they were worshiping God. Now, they identified the wrong God, and so their worship was wrong. But the whole idea that anyone would assume that a God to be worshipped is pleased by us destroying that which he gives us. Um, you know, that's a frightening concept. And, and he's saying, lest you be ensnared by these things they did. Uh, it's always the temptation around to be like others or to fit in or even just to experience something new you know the the experiencing new stuff is not always a good idea some things are better not to experience um you know i've, I've never tried any lsd and i don't want to <laughs> um some people say oh it's a mind expanding experience and i don't need that but what happens is when someone presents to you that which is unclear as to being beneficial or harmful one needs to ask, has God spoken about this? And and uh, the, the worship life of the Canaanites was abominable to God, and he removed them and it. And he'll do the same when he chooses uh, in the modern world, too. So we're always, we're always reminded we have to listen to God and his word and follow him. Everything I command you shall be careful to do, not add to it or take from it is the next phrase. And that idea is... Repeated in Revelation. You know, don't add to this. Don't take away from it. And so to know if we're adding or taking away, obviously we have to know what's in it. So that's you know the whole point of, of learning and reading the Word of God, that we are, can be instructed by what God's already given us. One might look at this and say, well, of course they would never do anything like that. Burning their sons and their daughters in the fire, that's just awful. Well, it's awful because we benefit from Christian morality. <laughs> That's why right. we know it's awful. Mm -hmm. But as, as you're well aware, and maybe the listeners are too, at least two apostate kings of Israel literally do those very things. Yes. They have Manasseh and Ahaz. It, it is told in the scriptures in, in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, that they burned their sons to the gods. Yeah. And where did they get that idea? They didn't get it from the word of God. They got it from the people around them. 
and, and this is again the to be in the world and not of the world is what Jesus said. And, and to not be of the world, it's it's the same thing. These words of mine, the phrase that's used here, that we hold on to the words of God. As long as the words of God are there, as Jesus says, we'll know the truth, that truth will bear fruit. But if we're not using the word, the fruit can't be produced because the nurture of the Holy Spirit going into the root system isn't there. And so for the people of Israel who lived in an, in an agrarian society, uh, this whole idea of a root and a vine and the vine producing fruit, the, these ideas immediately registered with them. In, a, in an urban community or a suburban community where we fertilize grass and water grass so we can cut it and throw it in a recycle heap or maybe just have it hauled off by lawn service, we don't necessarily catch these things too quick. No, true. Agreed. And, and, you know, there are modern iterations of all of this, too. So many even so-called Christian groups are following after the ways of the world. They're learning how to worship God in ways that he has neither commanded and in some ways that he has expressly disallowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I draw a direct parallel to those church bodies that will support abortion. And they're sacrificing their children or at the very least their credibility uh, to the gods of this world. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to dig into that. So I want to go into chapter 13, where the thought continues. Uh, he hasn't stopped. That's why I kept going also. Sure. And he's talking about now prophets. Here we go. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which Yahweh your God commanded you to walk. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. Uh, So stopping there at the uh, end of five. So now we have the instance of the prophet. And what I think is interesting is one of the ways in which you know if a prophet is true is if, well, they, what they say comes to pass. It seems kind of simplistic, but that's Mm -hmm. what the Bible says here. It says, if even if it comes to pass, but still he's not pointing you to the right God, then be done with him. Right. Absolutely. And I think it reminds me of the accusation that was made against Jesus, that he was casting out demons by the help of Beelzebub. And if you reflect on that phrase in this context, that people did signs and wonders and pointed you to the wrong God, it's not like the Israelites would ever say, oh, no one can do signs and wonders unless the true God is with them. Because God himself cautions against that. And, and I've reminded people over, over periods of time that Satan is capable of producing what you and I would call supernatural events. Um, but that doesn't prove that, that a miracle is going on. It just proves that something ab- above the ordinary is happening. And that can be used to deceive people. The father of lies would certainly use those as tools. Um, 
the Apostle Paul read, remembers, reminds us that if an angel from heaven comes and tells you not to follow Jesus, don't listen to that one, let alone an angel from hell. Um, so the understanding that the truth is found in whether it points you to God and his promises. The, the sign proves only that spiritual powers exist. I, I know I mentioned this before, but I uh, had several professors over the years who were connected to mission work in Africa and Southeast Asia, and they talked about the fact that people in their communities uh, would be able to speak in, in tongues uh, that were not from the Holy Spirit. And and this manifestation of signs is not limited to God. The evil spirits can do things that you and I can't do, and that's exactly what God is getting at here. If he if he does a sign or a wonder and says, "Now let's follow a false god," kill him. Now correct me if you think I'm misguided, but I would even say that because God has chosen in these last days to speak through His Son through His Word. If you're encountering supernatural things, it's it's probably more likely that it's not God. That would that would be the more probable thing, yes. And and, and I don't mean to limit the Holy Spirit. God right. can do anything he wants whenever he wants. But what does he promise to do? And anything that causes us to turn our eyes away from God's word where the promise is secure. Well, we maybe they're to, not convinced by yeah. prophets, so then Moses recognizes, or the Holy Spirit through Moses, recognizes that maybe they would be led astray by their own family. So let's read verses 6 through 11. Certainly. If your brother, the son of your mother, or the son of your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend, who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Wow. So he's saying, I don't care if it's your mama or your, your best friend yep. or your buddy. Mm -hmm. If they start trying to lead you away from God. Yeah, it's, it's and, done for them. And, and, you know, Jesus says almost exactly the same thing uh, about the family relationship where the family member will turn against you or, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. These these are the same things that Jesus is talking about. I mentioned before that he'll always have an Old Testament point of reference when he says something. But the key thought here is to remember this, that the one who is being enticed has to make it publicly known. It's not like you cover it up. You actually say, this loved one came to me and said, let's worship other gods. We have to kill this loved one. And God says, and you... The accuser throw the first stone, so no one cavalierly comes and you know tries to get rid of a rival or something by making this accusation. But the whole community does it. There's there is a deterrence factor involved here in several ways. One is if I try to do this with a relative, they're obligated to kill me, and if my relative does this, I can't pretend it didn't happen. 
this is this is not normal for people in in North American culture to have this idea that I become the accuser and the executioner at the same time. So this is God's law. This is God's way for the people of Israel. And everybody would be involved. The community would do this. There would be no secret about it. And God's very clear in saying, it shall be removed from among your midst. And everybody's watching the removal and taking part in it. And so God God involves the whole community in support of one another to walk faithfully. And this is still something we do in the church today. When one is tempted, you know, we, we go to help them. When one is suffering, we go to care for them. When one is taken in sin, the apostles write, those of you who are stronger, go and correct them gently and, and turn them back to you. And, you know, this whole idea, book of Hebrews, we were just talking about this in Bible class, uh, that, you know, God had the assignment for stoning. And then in, in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, and don't try to get even with someone. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. But this isn't vengeance. This is God cleansing the evil from among his people. So we see a God who insists on justice and purity and at the same time shows mercy and grace. And here he's saying the corruption of my people is not tolerable. I, I won't tolerate it in any way. So, Well, he won't tolerate it from false prophets. He won't tolerate it even from your loved ones. And in this final section, which I don't think we'll have a whole lot of time to remark on, but in this last section, he won't even tolerate it if entire cities should go astray. Uh, verse 12, Moses says, If you hear in one of your cities, which Yahweh your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, well, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true, and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, then you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction, all who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its spoil into the midst of its open square and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand, that Yahweh may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you, as he swore to your fathers. If you obey the voice of Yahweh your God, keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of Yahweh your God. Um, one thing I haven't heard in any of these, and I'm tainted by our American justice system, is any sort of due process. <laughs> I mean, here at least, there's sort of a go and make sure it's true. Don't yeah. just go and wipe it out. Sure. Um, but do these guys get hearings at all? I mean, what, it's, what they get is is the accusation of, of one who says, this was done. I am the accuser. I kill my own family member because God says it must be purified. And what God does is, ultimately, he sends his own son to die for us so that we might be purified. So it's not inconsistent with the way God handles things. Christ was without sin, yet he died for all. So now those who have sin are, are brought to judgment. And, and the, the heap, never inhabited again, says, this is how serious I take it. Don't ever touch that pile of crap again. Wow. It's just impressive how, uh, well, zealous God is and, and mm -hmm. jealous of his people in a good way. And this is for our own good. Now, these would be, would you classify these as civil laws? Yeah, these, these are going to be civil laws because God in nowhere instructs in the New Testament that you and I kill someone who sins against us or <laughs> attempts another one to sin. So now, I think it's just clear. Law. 
Yeah, this so this has passed away when the theocracy of of uh, is the Israelites uh, passed away, and Absolutely. Christ is common now as the King. So you know, just good to end the show on that to make sure people understand right. that you know, in the New Covenant, um, all of this was taken out on Christ, just as our guest said. He God sacrificed his own son and indeed his own self for our sake to purify us. And that's, that's a, that's a beautiful gospel message, especially in the midst of all of this law. Well, thank you for allowing me to visit and share with you the, the gift that God has given us in Christ and, and the clear statement that God doesn't change, but he does rescue. Thank you, brother. And I would like to thank officially my guest this morning, the Reverend Stephen Tice, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Folks, come Monday, the Reverend Lucas Witt will be on the show to open up chapter 14. And Moses continues, right? We're now officially getting into the the law section of Deuteronomy. And he delivers instruction to the Israelites, emphasizing their unique status as people chosen by God. But now what we get are dietary laws, distinguishing between clean and unclean animals and and tithing, ensuring the support of the Levites and the care for the poor. So we're going to talk about that and a lot more, but that'll be all on Monday. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word. 